Church, this is the day the Lord has made. And you know what? This is not the day that sickness has made. This is not the day that your doubt has made. This is not the day that, that death has made. This is the day the Lord has made. And we're going to rejoice in our relationship with God. Regardless of what you're facing, your relationship with God is what's going to help you through the day. Great revelation for a scripture that I think I pray every morning you wake up and that's the first thought in your head. This is the day the Lord has made. And I'm going to rejoice. And I'm going to be glad in it. Amen, amen, amen. I missed you all last week. Thank you for letting our family have a, a Sunday off. And we were actually driving last Sunday, but uh, had a great time. And just, I love my family. Um, I want to talk to you about a, a little mini-series I'm starting talking about America's Idols. America's Idols. Now, we have a TV show called American Idol, which you all are very familiar with. But I've been reading a book by Kyle Eidemann called Gods at War. And it talks about idolatry and how America is steeped in idolatry, even though we don't realize it. And there was an analogy that he started off with the book. If you've read the book, this was his analogy. That a young man goes, a young man starts experiencing coughing. And the coughing is progressively growing worse. In fact, it's keeping him up half of the night. It's starting to interrupt almost every conversation that he has. He has to excuse himself and start coughing. It's starting to impact his work because of this just constant coughing that's happening all throughout the day. His body's getting weak because um, it, the lack of sleep and just the, the trying to fight this. So he goes to the doctor and the doctor runs tests and the doctor finds lung cancer in this young man. And he realizes that this is going to be very bad news for the young man, so he decides not to tell the patient about the lung cancer, but he just prescribes a very heavy cough syrup. And he tells this young man that everything should be all right. So the young man starts taking the cough syrup, and as he's taking it, obviously the, the symptoms are starting to go away and he's thinking that he's on the mend. But the entire time that he's taking something that's dealing just with the symptoms, the cancer is still radically eating away at his body. You see, in the church today, pastors are, are talking with and meeting with people who are struggling with issues. They're hurting. They're confused. They're walking in doubt. They're lusting after things. They're overspending their budget. They're worrying about everything. And what they want is they want the pastor to talk to them about the symptom. But in reality, they're never talking about the real issue. Idolatry. Placing things in front of your relationship with God. Do you all remember what the first commandment was? You remember how we learned the Ten Commandments on our fingers? Do you all remember that about a year or so ago? But do you all remember what the first commandment was? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Anyone? There shall not have any other gods before. Now, have you ever just thought about that? You should not have any other gods 
before you. What that is saying is that God realizes that we were created to love. We're going to love our spouse. We're to love our children. We're to love our our neighbor. We're to, to love our brothers and sisters. In fact, you know, God was just so generous when he created us. He created laughter. Do you realize that he could have not created us with, well, some people were not created with. God gave everybody a form of sense of humor. And we laugh. I mean, have you ever just sat around a table and you laughed until you, you're hurt, your lungs actually hurt, and your jaw starts to hurt? And the Bible says that laughter is good medicine. God gave that to us. It doesn't put any fat on your body. Isn't it great? I mean, you, the, the, sometimes the meal is good, but the conversation's even better. God gave us the ability to enjoy things. But when we take things and we place it between us and God, it becomes an idol. Luke 10 verses 25 through 27 tells us this. Then an expert in Moses' teaching, pretty much like a lawyer, stood up to test Jesus. And he asked, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I would just imagine he had one of those like really condescending voices. I think Jesus had a really loving voice. He just said, Jesus answered him and says, what is written in Moses' teaching? What do you read there? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. What it's saying is that we are going to have relationships with others but God has to become number one in our life. God has to become number one in our life to not have any other gods before me. So let's look at the second commandment and it's found in Exodus 20 verse four. And it says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Sounds like he covered pretty much everything, okay? Don't, don't even think about creating some kind of image. So my big question to you is, what is an idol? What is an idol? Why would anyone want to have a relationship with an object when we can experience God's presence, when we can experience God's peace? Today in worship, we felt God's presence. Why would we want to substitute that for something that we've created. So let's get some insight into this and let's go to Exodus 32. Exodus 32 tells us the story of what's happening. Moses goes up on the mountain and he's gone for quite a while. In fact, he's gone for a total of 40 days. But around the 38th day, the people come to Aaron and start talking to him. And there's some murmuring going on. Now, I want you to imagine this. There is a mountain that Moses is up there. And through our Bible, we know that there is thunder, there's lightning, and there's smoke all swirling around this mountaintop. Almost like what we'd expect to see in in one of our special effects movies now. But you're looking up and the top of this mountain is covered with smoke and you're seeing thunder and lightning and you know that one of your own is up there in the presence of the Most High God. 
and you get bored. That's really what they did. They got bored. So here's what they said. Exodus 32, 1. And when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, so long, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Now, I got to do a little time out on this message, okay? So I want to I do a little time out, and then I'm going to get right back to this message. But what happens here is you're about to see in the next passage I'm reading, Aaron, as leadership, has no backbone when Moses is gone. And Aaron is willing to lead them back into idolatry and take them back into Egypt, which was bondage. And I'm going to tell you that if as Christians with moral character, if we don't get involved in the leadership of this country and help make decisions, our leadership is going to lead us back into bondage and into slavery. They have no backbone. They do what's popular at the time. They don't consent God's word. They don't make moral decisions. They make popular decisions. And this is what Aaron is, I told you I'm in my little timeout, so you can't judge me on this, because this is a timeout, okay? But what's happening is they're going to Aaron saying, hey, you know, we're, we're kind of, we need something, and we want to go back into slavery? I mean, I've never been a slave, but I can't imagine saying, oh, I long for those days of 13, 14 hours of whippings and mashing bricks without mud and being beaten and given little and being treated like dirt. And you know, that's exactly the way Satan will treat you. Okay, time back in. <laughs> so this is, they go to Aaron, they ask him to make a God to go before them. We also have to remember that they have experienced God and physical manifestations that we as this society have never encountered. They walked through the Red Sea. They were delivered out of Egypt. The largest wealth transfer that ever happened happened when the Egyptians gave them all of their gold and, and valuable belongings to take with them. That's a whole message in itself right there. But they've experienced what it's like to be in God's presence. They've been led by fire. They've been led by the cloud. They've been fed in the desert. They've seen water come out of a rock. All of these things they're seeing, and yet they're now murmuring for another God. They've experienced miracles. But the truth of it is, we've done the same thing. We, we've done the same thing, just like the Hebrews. We've experienced God's salvation. When we know that he took all of our sins, all of our guilt, all of our shame and removed it from us. We felt the love that, that we get, especially that brand new Christian that's just so in love and so passionate for what God's done. We've experienced God in miracles. I've experienced God in, in my body. I experienced a mini miracle this morning with our audiovisual equipment. We prayed. It wasn't working. Now it works. That's a miracle, okay? And we've got AV teams back there that are praying over it because we expect God. 
But in the present, it just seems like sometimes God is distant. I don't know if you've ever gone through a time where you just feel like God is not hearing your prayers. God is not moving as quickly as you would like for him to move. You've experienced God, but it's been 38 days since anything's happened real exciting to you. You, you've been running all around the country to revival services to try to experience God, but they're just leaving you empty. You've bought every CD series. You've gotten all the new books. You've done everything physically you could do to experience God, and you're just thinking, I'm not feeling it anymore. So let me bring in something that might help me experience that. And remember what I told you, anything that's between you and God is an idol. So after a while, we look for something else. It's not that we're, we don't believe in God anymore. We're just wanting experience. We want, when we want that feeling, that tingling sensation when we're in God's presence. That, that's what we want. We're hungry for more of the experience of God than just the relationship of God. Because I'm going to tell you, sometimes God is silent. Sometimes God moves in the silence. And we just don't realize that. Man, we just want constant God entertainment. In fact, we'd like to have a little God remote control. Ooh, this is good, but let me click on that now. That's good. And then when we get tired of that, we click on another station of God. That's what we've become. We've prayed. We've cried out. But we feel like we're wasting our time. So after a while, we look for something else. And we're looking for some other way for God to lead us. We're looking for a person to lead us. Be careful when you look to people to lead you to God. You might be drinking Kool-Aid in some third world country. See, you laugh, but, but it really happened. All because they put their faith and hope in a man or a woman or an organization or a government and they took their eyes off of God and his word and his way that he wants to move in our lives. What they're really asking for is a physical, tangible thing that they can represent God. That's what we want. We want something tangible that we can worship. Sometimes it just seems like God leaves us in the dark. So let's read what happens next. So in Exodus 32, verses 2 and 4. Aaron answered them, he says, take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron and he took what they handed to him and made him into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then he said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Hmm. I want you to get a real clear picture of what's happening. Back in that day, it was very common, especially in Egypt, for every home to have idols. They could have been statues, figurines, they could have been made of wood, gold, metal, but it was very common at that time for every home to have a statue. And they believed for these statues to, to give them security, to give them safety, to give them power, to give them health, to give them provision and they would pray to these little idols. Now, I'm thinking that in today's society, if, if you invited me over for dinner, 
I'm not going to see like this little shelf of little idols, you know? Oh, this is, this is our God of fertility, and, and this is our God of health, and this is our God of healing. You and I are going to have a real quick come to Jesus meeting right then and there, okay? We may not have those physical little idols, but we still might have some idol worship going on in our lives. Even great born-again Christians that have placed something between them and God. They would worship them, and the Hebrew word for worship is literally serve. They would serve these little gods. And this sounds kind of strange to us, but it was very cultural at that time. If I said, John, I want you to go back in time to this situation. John would go back and I think he would be completely shocked at the way that they were bowing down to these little worships because he goes, don't you realize we can, we can cry out to Abba Father? Why are you crying out to this little man-made item? But I also think that if we brought one of those Hebrews to today's society and everything that they see is this, or this, or pictures taking of selfies. They're gonna look as strangely at you as you were looking at them. And how long do you think it would be for that they had to have one of these clever little devices that I can worship, I can, I can search the internet on this, I can find gasoline prices within 10 miles of all around me. This is wonderful. I am not against technology. I, I, I live and breathe technology. But what I'm just telling you is that culturally, you become adapt to what's around you. And if we brought them into today's society, within a short period of time, they would all have everything going that you have. And I pray that if you were to go back during that time, you would not be bowing a knee to their idols because of what you know and who you know and whose you are. But there's a word called peer pressure out there. Well, pastor, everybody's doing this. Everybody. This is common language. This is, this is common things in my generation. See, every generation likes to label themselves to justify what they do or don't want to do. So sometimes the older generation says, I don't want to do this. But you got the X and Y generations, you got these other generations, it's like, hey, that's just today. That's just old-fashioned thinking. We can do this. So we've been talking about waiting on God. They decide to take action, the Hebrews do. They adapt something from culture, and they use it to impact their relationship with God. They take something from culture and they use it to impact their relationship with God. Only they make an idol. They think God's taking too long to tell me what I want to know or where I'm to go or what I'm to do. So I'm going to replace God with something that can help me, can tell me what to do, where I need to go, what I need to do. So what are the idols in today's society? Well, I just have four of them, and I'm going to go through them fairly quickly. But each one of them spells out the word idol. 
to help you remember this. Point number one, I, individualism. I do what I want. Especially here in the United States, we are a people who do what we want, how we want, and when we want to do it. We boast in that. I'm a self-made man. It's all up to the individual. Right and wrong are no longer a standard. Listen to what I just said. Right and wrong are no longer a standard. But right and wrong is left up to the individual. And how we hold up our own ideas, how we hold up our own thoughts and judgments as equal to or higher than God's word. Well, pastor, that's just old-fashioned thinking. We're in an age of enlightenment. So how does this individualism affect our society? Homosexuality. Pastor, it's just a lifestyle. It's, it's a way of living, and it, it should be accepted. They're born that way. No, I, I'm not even going to go and talk out there. We do this and we accept it because it's an individual thing. Abortion. Oh, let me say, retitled pro-choice. Abortion's too offensive. Pro-choice is the killing of innocent blood because it's not convenient for me right now. I want choice. I'll give you choice. Quit having sex with every person who gives you attention. I was in timeout, so you can't say anything, okay, all right? That's pro-choice. Pro-choice. Quit modifying your life away from God's word and then expect to, to use another to fix it. Okay, I'm back in. Sex before marriage. Living together. That's the norm, pastor. The college campuses, everybody's living together. We have co-ed dorms. Quit thinking about being so fuddy-duddy. Sexual transmitted diseases are not fuddy-duddies. They're serious. They're issues in our society today. Look at what God's word says about the marriage bed. Look at what God, but oh, pastor, once again, this is 2013. We're individuals now. Divorce. Divorce happens because we don't want to honor our commitment. It's not convenient anymore. We don't feel loved. We don't feel in love. We want to get out of this relationship. Still individualism, okay? Here's one you might not even thought of. Physical crimes, rape, murder, theft. What happens is when somebody steals your car, they feel that their need especially your truck, their need is more than your need. Isn't that really the motivation behind crime? I want what you have. Individualism. It affects our society. It creates victims. It creates moral decay. Amen, Pastor. Thank you so much. 
The D in idol is deeds. I'm a good person. According to Barna Research, there is a growing tendency that all good people, whether or not they consider Jesus Christ as their Savior, will live in heaven. Now, I have seen this when a celebrity who has had a horrific life, whose fruit is full of vulgarity and immoral and, and just and possibly drug overdoses or has some form, and I've watched their funeral. One pastor always taught me, Mark, never preach a person into heaven when you're doing their funeral because the family knows <laughs> they were evil as the day is long. I've seen this happen many times. On a music artist, a movie star, they're in front of the funeral, and the pastor says, well, we know that he's in heaven right now, given the angels H-E-double toothpicks. Actually been said. Wow. He's singing in the heavenly choirs now, bringing a little bluegrass or country or rock and roll to heaven. How is this possible? Because... According to God's word, in John 14, 6, it says, And Jesus answered and said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man come. No man comes unto the Father except through me. So how does this affect our society, Pastor Mark? I, I'm, I'm not really figuring out why this could be an idol. Because what it's saying is God is not needed. Salvation is not needed. Jesus Christ was not needed. You can just do a lot of good things in this world, and you will spend eternity in heaven. In fact, just go ahead and skip all four Gospels because you don't need it. Individualism also starts working into our deeds. We try to remove God from our schools, from our buildings. We're trying to remove the name of Jesus as much as possible. The O in idol stands for opulence, and opulence is money makes the world go round. Opulence is, is another word for wealth or luxury or riches. And many times our lives are run by money and its desire. Do we really consult God in what we purchase? I really don't see a lot of prayer meetings happening in the Parks Mall, but I mean, I'm really just talking about, you know, somebody in front of Dillard saying, God, should I go in there? Should I buy that? Should I not? Should I go? No. See, to me, there's always wants and needs. And a lot of times what I have to ask myself, Mark, is this a want or is this a need? Now, you can lie to yourself, but you know you're lying to yourself. I mean, that's the clever thing about it. It's like, oh, this is a, this is a, this is a need. Yeah, and maybe if I tell myself that enough, I'll believe it. A convertible, Sherry. It's a need. Okay? Could you all just believe that with me? Okay? Want or need. Do we pray about decisions that we make? When we're offered a job, do we pray about that, or do we just take the job that pays the highest? Do, do we give? Do we tithe? 
Do we give to the church 10% to say, God, this is my first fruits. This is, this is my week of what I did. Here it is. Do, do we support missionaries? When, when Autumn stands up here and says, I'm, I'm going to Israel, are we thinking this is what we, we need to, to give to, to, to invest in our eternity? You see, there's only certain things that will really invest in your eternity. And that is what you tie into the kingdom of God. Giving your tithe, giving your offerings. If you have extra money, say, is there a missions organization that I can support? Instead of how much bigger can I get what I already have? Where are we spending our money? Our money focuses, our, our society focuses on money. Our culture focuses on money. I was meeting with somebody this week and we were coming up with the common questions we normally ask. When you meet somebody for the first time, we normally ask, what do you do? And from that then, we can kind of assume their position in our society. Oh, you're a neurosurgeon. Hmm. Well, I'd like to talk to you. You clean poop out of stables. Germex, please, you know? I mean, we, we, we gauge people by their profession and their money status. Can this person do something for me? If I know this person, will it open doors of opportunity? Money. People will do anything for it. We've seen that. Look at the newspaper any day. Turn on the news and see what people will do for money. Last night, three people drove a truck into a Love's store on, I think, I-20 to steal an ATM machine. Then there's this thing called a helicopter that starts tracking them. So they have to ditch the car and ditch the ATM, and now they're on the run. Now, do you think they did this for fun? You think this was just a, hey guys, I got this crazy idea. Wouldn't it be funny to steal? We'll give it back. We just want to steal it. We're going to drive a truck into the store. We're going to put a chain around it. We're going to drag it out. Maybe the police will come. All right? Wouldn't this just be fun? Wouldn't you just like to be in the car with me when we do this? Because what a story we're going to have. Like I said, we'll give the money back. It's just, look at the faces on those employees when we drive through, this, because there were five employees at the time. Why they do it? Money. Many times, bills, making money, advancements and jobs take up all our time. Time that we should be spending with God. It comes in between our relationship with God. It becomes an idol. My last for the L in idol is leisure. Are you not entertained? The fourth and final idol we'll talk about this morning, and there's many, many more, but just today, is the idol of leisure. TVs, movies, music, vacations, clothes, thousands of other items that will entertain us, make us feel good. Materialism is live and well in America today. They say that the average American spends four hours a day watching television. Four hours each day watching television. Pastor, what's wrong with that? Legally, nothing. You could spend five and I wouldn't blink an eye at you. But I'd also ask you, how much time are you spending in the word of God? Because what happens 
is when you spend that much time watching TV or on the internet or social networking or video gaming, it forms your opinions and your character. Again. It forms your character. Television starts forming your worldview. You watch morning, daytime television, The View. <laughs> but what if we just took one of our children, one, we just take one of our children out of the nursery and we just have them watch television all day long? What do you think their views and opinions are going to become? Our viewpoints of God, life, sex, family, marriage, the Simpsons. Family guy, which is really misleading, okay? <laughs> My mind is going a thousand things I could say, but I'm not... Many Americans are buying into something that gives them pleasure, whether or not God has anything to say about it. It's affecting us. It's affecting our world ideas. It's affecting our children. As I close, the first and second commandments deal with idols and our treatment, our relationship with God. First two, right off the very get-go. This may be something that most of us can't relate to because most of us don't have those little wooden idols or golden idols in our house. But how many of us have placed things in front of our relationship with God? It could be a relationship. It could be a person. It could be your job. It could be something that you own. You know, if God asked you to give something away and you couldn't, might be an idol. And I think everybody right now is taking an inventory. No, I'd get rid of that, that, that. Kids, yeah, get rid of that. No, no. Just kidding. But there might be something in your life that if God says, I want you to give that away, would you give it away? Or would you sell it and give that money to missions or uh, an organization here in, in the community that's impacting lives? Would you do that? You see, what is the object of our affection? What is the object of our affection? What do we spend our efforts on? What do we give our attention to? Where do we spend our money? Where does the majority of our time go? didn't really think of time being an element in idolatry, right? But where are we spending our time? Where we spend the greatest amount of our resources? That'll lead you to where your idols are. As I said at the very beginning of this message, America has been dealing with symptoms and we've never been dealing with the root and that root is idolatry, things that we have replaced God with. 
Yes, we love God. Yes, we believe that his son's coming. But for right now, since I haven't heard anything for 38 days, I'm now going to worship something. And I, I, I need to see something, Pastor. I need to see God. And I believe that this will help me. This is an object. This is not God. But we do that. And we're doing it in the church today. We're doing it in the church today. I'd like to lead you in a prayer that I lead everyone in every week. And it deals with your relationship with Jesus Christ. But as we bow our heads to pray today, would you ask yourself some of those questions? God, is there anything in my life that I would not give up for you? Is there anything, anyone that I would not do? Is there something that I've been spending so much more time on than with you? Is there something that's had my attention more than you? That's when we take self-inventory in our lives. Remember my, my prayer before I go on a walk? Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit. Cast not your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Father, if there's any prejudice, any hatred, anything that I've done, sins of omission, I ask for your forgiveness right now. Cleanse me, Father God. Forgive me. Why I say that is because I don't want any junk in my life to affect my relationship and my prayers with God. Because I've gone through those 38 days of not hearing God. And it's not fun. When you feel like your prayers are not being answered and you're not seeing any move of God. And I've learned it's better to just throw myself down and cry out for mercy. And then I go to God in his presence. And I pray to him and I ask for guidance and direction. I pray for you as, as, as families. I pray for our nation. I pray for guidance. I pray for wisdom. But it talks about removing everything out from our lives. And that's what I'm dealing with today. If there's any sin in your life, if there's anything, you know that your relationship is not right with Jesus Christ. Would you pray this prayer with me today? I'm going to have everyone say it. We're all going to pray it together. But it gives you that opportunity to know that Jesus Christ is in your heart and he's not only your savior, but he wants to be your Lord. Would you all bow your heads? Before we pray, would you ask God right now to reveal anything in your life that has been a God, has been an idol, has been occupying your, your thoughts? Would you ask for forgiveness from that? Would you all pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave to give me life. Please forgive me. Change my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I now confess 
that I am saved. Amen. Idolatry. I pray that if there's been something that was identified in your life, that you would pray to God for the strength and the ability to remove it from your life. Don't go all Rambo on, your, on yourself. This thing has consumed and has grown as a part of your life. Pray, ask God, ask for strength. Ask for the ability to overcome an addiction, anything that has taken your time, your energy, your affection away from what it really should be. First and foremost with God, then with your family, then with your loved ones. I'd like to speak a blessing over you as we dismiss, so if you can stand. So may the Lord bless you and protect you. And may the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. So go in his peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming so much. We love you so very, very much.